Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Michael Cohen has been Donald Trump's attorney, confidant, and fixer for years. And no one's been more loyal to the boss. In all fairness, who hasn't said something or done something that they regret simply trying to protect somebody that they care about? And I care about Mr. Trump, but one thing Donald Trump is, he's a compassionate man. He's a man of great intellect, great intuition, and great abilities. Mr. Trump's memory is fantastic, and it, I've never come across a situation where Mr. Trump has said something that's, that's not accurate. Mr. Trump truly cares about America. He loves this country. He's an amazing negotiator, maybe the best ever in the history of this world. On February 27, 2019, Cohen sits before the House Oversight Committee. He's been here once before to testify about Donald Trump, but that time he'd lied. Now he has a different story to tell. The last time I appeared before Congress, I came to protect Mr. Trump. Today, I am here to tell the truth about Mr. Trump. I lied to Congress when Mr. Trump stopped negotiating the Moscow Tower project in Russia. I stated that we stopped negotiating in January of 2016. That was false. Our negotiations continued for months later during the campaign. Mr. Trump knew of and directed the Trump-Moscow negotiations throughout the campaign and lied about it. He lied about it because he never expected to win. He also lied about it because he stood to make hundreds of millions of dollars on the Moscow real estate project. And so I lied about it too. This is the report. Episode 14, The Fixer Flips. We're almost at the end of our story. This episode will cover the final set of activity that the special counsel examines for possible obstruction of justice, the president's behavior towards his longtime attorney, Michael Cohen. Unlike the other possible acts of obstruction in Volume 2, which mostly occur after Trump takes office, the relevant conduct towards Cohen spans the entire time period at issue in the Mueller investigation. It starts all the way back before the campaign. It begins with Trump Tower Moscow. We've covered Cohen's and Trump's pursuit of a real estate deal in Russia in detail, all the way back in episode four, A Tale of Two Trump Towers. Former attorney and self-proclaimed fixer Michael Cohen claiming to know the answer to a pair of questions Americans have been asking for more than a year. Questions about a proposal to build a Trump Tower in Moscow. We have no dealings in Russia. We have no projects in Russia. We have nothing to do with Russia. That this Trump Tower Moscow project had been a very important part of uh, the investigation. 
Actually, Russians didn't place a whole lot of cachet in Trump. Nobody watches The Apprentice in Russia. Nobody knows who Donald Trump is. He's a purely American brand. If you believe the reports about Mr. Cohen and the effort to try to create Trump Tower Moscow, to me, that's a relevant piece of information. Suddenly, the Russians are interested, you know, and it coincides with the Russian desire to interfere in the election. So with Felix Sater, uh, with Michael Cohen, you know, Trump had a hand in that. The Moscow real estate deal and the president's lies about it become a significant focus of the Russia investigation. And if there's one person who can help Mueller put the pieces together about the deal, it's Cohen. Here's Matt Zapatowski of The Washington Post. So Cohen is interesting. He kind of has roads throughout like the course of the investigation because he is President Trump's personal lawyer. He affectionately calls himself Trump's fixer. He kind of knows where all the bodies are buried. So he plays an important role in terms of testifying to Congress for this reason. He is involved in discussions about a, building a possible Trump Tower in Moscow. Those discussions continue well into the presidential campaign. But the revelation of that would obviously be embarrassing for President Trump, particularly as all these questions are swirling about his relationship with Russia and whether Russia helped him win the election. So Cohen testifies before Congress and claims he will later admit falsely, that those discussions about this Trump Tower Moscow project ended in like January of 16, really before the campaign was underway. In fact, they continued at least into June of that year. In fact, too, President Trump was kind of regularly involved in those. This wasn't Cohen freelancing. Trump was engaged and would ask Cohen what's going on with them. When questions start popping up about possible Russian support for Trump in 2016, Trump denies having any personal, financial, or business connection to Russia. Cohen later says this is part of the party line. I own nothing in Russia. I have no loans in Russia. I don't have any deals in Russia. When, to everyone's surprise, Trump actually wins the election, the Trump Organization tries to close out some particular deals before the inauguration. One of those deals is Trump Tower Moscow. In approximately January of 2017, Cohen began receiving inquiries from the media about Trump Tower Moscow, and he recalled speaking to the president-elect when those inquiries came in. Cohen was concerned that truthful answers about the Trump Tower Moscow project might not be consistent with the message that the president-elect had no relationship with Russia. After consulting with Trump, in an attempt to stay on message, Cohen tells the New York Times that the Trump Tower Moscow deal ended in January 2016. Cohen recalled that this was part of a script or talking points he had developed with President-elect Trump and others to dismiss the idea of a substantial connection between Trump and Russia. Cohen said that he discussed the talking points with Trump, but that he did not explicitly tell Trump he thought they were untrue, because Trump already knew they were untrue. Cohen thought it was important to say the deal was done in January 2016 because it limited the period when candidate Trump could be alleged to have a relationship with Russia to an early point in the campaign before Trump had become the party's presumptive nominee. Here's Kerry Johnson of National Public Radio. There's a problem here, which is that uh, 
during the campaign, candidate Donald Trump said he didn't have any dealings with Russia. And after his inauguration, President Donald Trump minimized his dealings with Russia when Michael Cohen was in possession of emails and other communications and just knowledge in his own head that he was acting as a middleman between the Trump family and Russia, at least with respect to this uh, Trump Tower Moscow project, which he posited at one point could be worth up to a billion dollars for the company, the Trump organization. That's a lot of money. The problem is that the press aren't the only ones asking questions. In early May 2017, Cohen received requests from Congress to provide testimony and documents in connection with congressional investigations of Russian interference in the 2016 election. The investigation is heating up. Now he's going to have to talk to Congress under oath and submit statements to Congress under penalty of of perjury and false statements. Lying to reporters or just lying on camera to members of the public, it ain't a crime. But lying to members of Congress is one, often, and it can be prosecuted, and it is often prosecuted. Cohen enters into a joint defense agreement with the president and others who are part of the Russia investigation, so their lawyers can share information without compromising attorney-client privilege. In the months leading up to his congressional testimony, Cohen frequently spoke with the president's personal counsel. Cohen recalled that the president's personal counsel told him the joint defense agreement was working well together and assured him that there was nothing, and if they stayed on message, the investigations would come to an end soon. Cohen said that the president's personal counsel also conveyed that as part of the JDA, Cohen was protected, which he would not be if he went rogue. Cohen recalled that the president's personal counsel reminded him that the president loves you and told him that if he stayed on message, the president had his back. The president isn't just telling Cohen he has his back. He's also paying Cohen's mounting legal bills. That's enormously important. Michael Cohen has a lot of money trouble. So the notion that uh, the president or supporters of the president are paying his growing legal bills, uh, and it's not clear when this investigation is going to end, and his lawyers are costing him a lot of money. It's an incentive for Michael Cohen to keep stating the party line, to keep on the president's team. Cohen thinks he's holding up his end of the bargain when he submits false testimony to Congress at the end of August 2017. The final statement he ends up submitting sticks to the president's message, but it's also a lie. The final version of the statement contained several false statements about the project. First, although the Trump Organization continued to pursue the project until at least June 2016, the statement said, quote, By the end of January 2016, I determined that the proposal was not feasible for a variety of business reasons and should not be pursued further, unquote. Second, although Cohen and candidate Trump had discussed possible travel to Russia by Trump to pursue the venture, the statement said, quote, Despite overtures by Mr. Sater, I never considered asking Mr. Trump to travel to Russia in connection with this proposal, unquote. Third, Although Cohen had regularly briefed Trump on the status of the project and had numerous conversations about it, the statement said, quote, 
Mr. Trump was never in contact with anyone about this proposal other than me on three occasions, including signing a non-binding letter of intent in 2015, unquote. Fourth, although Cohen's outreach to Peskov in January 2016 had resulted in a lengthy phone call with a representative from the Kremlin, the statement said that Cohen, quote, did not recall any response to my email to Peskov, nor any other contacts by me with Peskov or other Russian government officials about the proposal, unquote. One of the things that Mueller ends up looking at is, did President Trump tell him to lie? Did President Trump's lawyers get him to lie? Why did he lie? And is that evidence of obstruction of justice on the part of President Trump or those in President Trump's orbit? The question of Trump's involvement in Cohen's statement before he submits it becomes an important one. If the president has directed Cohen to perjure himself, that's a crime. Here's what Cohen says happened. Mr. Trump did not directly tell me to lie to Congress. That's not how he operates. In conversations we had during the campaign, at the same time I was actively negotiating in Russia for him, he would look me in the eye and tell me there's no Russian business and then go on to lie to the American people by saying the same thing. In his way, he was telling me to lie. There were at least a half a dozen times between the Iowa caucus in January of 2016 and the end of June when he would ask me, how's it going in Russia? Referring to the Moscow Tower project. You need to know that Mr. Trump's personal lawyers reviewed and edited my statement to Congress about the timing of the Moscow Tower negotiations before I gave it. Cohen begins drafting his statement to Congress in August 2017 and he shares the draft, which includes false statements about the Trump Tower Moscow project, to Trump's lawyers and Jared Kushner's lawyers as well. This is a standard process when you're preparing for congressional testimony. You have written testimony in addition to your just answering questions, and you have a draft that circulates among lawyers. In this case, Cohen at that time was in what's called a joint defense agreement with President Trump's lawyers, so they're kind of on the same side. All the lawyers are trying to help minimize exposure for their client. But what that means is that Cohen is sending his testimony about this Trump Tower Moscow project to President Trump's lawyers, to Jared Kushner's lawyers. Mueller says that in the 10-day period while Cohen's statement was being drafted and edited, phone records show that Cohen talks to the president's personal lawyers almost every day. Between August 18th, when Michael Cohen starts to draft his statement, and August 28th, when he actually sent it to Congress, Cohen spoke with the president's personal lawyer almost every day. And the day before Michael Cohen turned in that statement to Congress, they had a number of phone calls, including one that lasted 18 minutes. Trump's lawyers tell Cohen that it's best to keep the president out of the narrative as much as possible. Cohen said that his agenda in submitting the statement to Congress with false representations about the Trump Tower Moscow project was to minimize links between the project and the president, give the false impression that the project had ended before the first presidential primaries, and shut down further inquiry into Trump Tower Moscow with the aim of limiting the ongoing Russia investigations. He was not concerned that the story would be contradicted by individuals who knew it was false, 
because he was sticking to the party line adhered to by the whole group, and he believed that following the party line would help put an end to the special counsel and congressional investigations. And Cohen basically adheres to the party line. He later tells investigators that in the kind of workshopping of the statement that he's going to send to Congress, some other lawyer, he doesn't describe who that is, or at least the Mueller report doesn't, took out or wanted to take out a sentence uh, describing uh, Trump and, and Russia. And Cohen basically had no problem with that because he was still on the team. But his words to Congress were parsed very, very carefully, which is why the notion that he later pleaded guilty to making numerous false statements to Congress had more meaning for this investigation because it wasn't just Cohen and his lawyer. It was a bunch of people in a room. Cohen's contacts with the president's lawyers continue until the day before he submits his statement. On August 27, 2017, the day before Cohen submitted the statement to Congress, Cohen and the president's personal counsel had numerous contacts by phone. Cohen recalled telling the president's personal counsel that there was more detail on Trump Tower Moscow that was not in the statement, including that there were more communications with Russia and more communications with candidate Trump than the statement reflected. Cohen stated that the president's personal counsel responded that it was not necessary to elaborate or include those details because the project did not progress and that Cohen should keep his statement short and tight and the matter would soon come to an end. The president's personal counsel said his client appreciated Cohen, that Cohen should stay on message and not contradict the president, that there was no need to muddy the water and that it was time to move on. Cohen said he agreed because it was what he was expected to do. Then, on August 28, 2017, Cohen submits his false statement to Congress. Before he's originally scheduled to testify in September, Cohen releases the statement publicly, but Cohen isn't just giving Congress false testimony. He's also releasing it in violation of an agreement not to and the committee is angry. In the day's other news, Senate investigators canceled a private interview with President Trump's attorney, Michael Cohen, in the Russia Connection probe. Leaders of the Intelligence Committee complained that Cohen violated an agreement by releasing a public statement beforehand. Later, they invited him to testify in public. The lawyer left the Capitol after 90 minutes and offered no details about what had happened. Cohen said the release of his opening remarks was intended to shape the narrative and let other people who might be witnesses know what Cohen was saying so they could follow the same message. Cohen said his decision was meant to mirror Jared Kushner's decision to release a statement in advance of Kushner's congressional testimony, which the president had liked. After Cohen's opening remarks had been printed by the media, the president's personal counsel told him that the president was pleased with the Trump Tower Moscow statement that had gone out. Cohen, to hear him tell it at the time, he did that only because Jared Kushner did the same thing. And hey, it's like a it's a good practice to get out ahead of the news. It's a PR strategy. Other people might view that as um, getting everybody on the same page kind of strategy and keeping everybody on the same team kind of strategy. So nobody would stray off and let leak something that would be more problematic criminally. When Cohen finally does go before Congress on October 24th and 25th, he lies. And according to phone records, on both days, right after perjuring himself to Congress, the first thing Cohen does 
is call the president's lawyers. In January 2018, another story breaks, and this one isn't about Russia. We're following another developing news story about President Trump. The Wall Street Journal is reporting today that a lawyer for the president arranged a $130,000 payment to a former adult film star a month before the 2016 presidential election. In January 2018, the media reported that Cohen had arranged a $130,000 payment during the campaign to prevent a woman from publicly discussing an alleged sexual encounter she had had with the president before he ran for office. An adult film actress and director named Stormy Daniels is her stage name said that she had a personal relationship with President Trump and that she got paid some money to keep quiet about it in the waning weeks of the 2016 campaign. And while Trump continues to deny he had a personal relationship with Stormy Daniels, uh, he certainly denied that any of his money or any money went to Stormy Daniels. We now know that Michael Cohen used a, a cutout company he created to give that money to Stormy Daniels. Trump has directed Cohen to make secret hush money payments to adult film actress Stormy Daniels, whose real name is Stephanie Clifford, in violation of campaign finance law. In February 2019, Cohen admits to Congress the truth of what happened. I'm giving the committee today a copy of the $130,000 wire transfer from me to Ms. Clifford's attorney during the closing days of the presidential campaign that was demanded by Ms. Clifford to maintain her silence about her affair with Mr. Trump. Mr. Trump directed me to use my own personal funds from a home equity line of credit to avoid any money being traced back to him that could negatively impact his campaign. The President of the United States thus wrote a personal check for the payment of hush money as part of a criminal scheme to violate campaign finance laws. Mueller's office doesn't investigate campaign period payments to women. That matter is handled by the Southern District of New York. But the story is relevant to how the president interacts with Cohen as a witness in a position to give potentially damaging information to the government. And while Cohen may eventually tell Congress the truth, when the story first comes out in the press, he lies. Cohen says he paid the money himself, personally. Lawyer Michael Cohen admits to paying $130,000 of his own money to pornographic film actress Stormy Daniels. Neither the Trump Organization nor the Trump campaign was a party to the transaction with Miss Clifford, and neither reimbursed me for the payment, either directly or indirectly. Here's Rosalind Helderman of The Washington Post. So you actually have this moment where uh, Michael Cohen, you know, who had told people that he would take a bullet for the president, kind of rhetorically does take a bullet for the president on this Stormy Daniels issue. He actually, you know, puts out a statement saying, uh, look, I made those payments. I paid Stormy Daniels the, the hush money. Um, the president wasn't involved. The Trump organization wasn't involved. It was my money. And that was definitively untrue. He had, you know, had an arrangement with the president that Stormy Daniels would be paid. He extended the money to her. But then in a rather like complicated and longstanding sort of scheme, the president pays him back. Cohen later admits to Congress that Trump had directed him to deny Trump knew anything about it. 
What did the president ask or suggest that you say about the payments or reimbursements? He was not knowledgeable of these reimbursements and he wasn't knowledgeable of my actions. He asked you to say that? Yes, ma'am. On February 19th, 2018, the day after the New York Times wrote a detailed story attributing the payment to Cohen and describing Cohen as the president's fixer, Cohen received a text message from the president's personal counsel that stated, quote, client says thanks for what you do, unquote. Cohen is lying for Trump, and the president is grateful. But then, on April 9th, 2018, all hell breaks loose. FBI agents working with the Southern District of New York execute search warrants related to the Stormy Daniels payment on Cohen's house, hotel room, and office. The raid late today of President Trump's personal lawyer and friend, Michael Cohen. The FBI raiding his office, his home, and a hotel room, seizing records and files. The big moment for Michael Cohen is prosecutors in Manhattan execute search warrants in April of 2018. They raid his uh, home, they raid his office, they raid his safety deposit box, they raid everything he owns and take all his phones and take lots of papers from him. And so now things have gotten super serious for Michael Cohen. The feds have everything. And uh, at first, Trump is sending these messages of support, including through this friend of Giuliani who kind of reaches out to him to say the president's got his back, you got to stay on the team. The president is furious about the raid. So I just heard that they broke into the office of one of my personal attorneys, good man. It's a, an attack on our country in a true sense. It's an attack on what we all stand for. Trump is claiming to be outraged on behalf of Cohen. But he's also nervous that Cohen, who knows all kinds of incriminating information, may now be under pressure to cooperate. So Michael Cohen is now under siege from various parts of the Department of Justice, right? He's got the Mueller prosecutors on his tail, and he's got the Southern District of New York on his tail, too, over these campaign finance violations in terms of the payments to Stormy Daniels. And those things were done in writing, and the government has the checks, and those things are very hard to squirm out of. If you wind up in a bind, one of the only ways you can get out of a bind or help yourself at all is to start talking to the government, start cooperating. Trump calls Cohen a few days later. A few days after the searches, the president called Cohen. According to Cohen, the president said he wanted to check in and asked if Cohen was okay. And the president encouraged Cohen to hang in there and stay strong. Cohen also recalled that following the searches, he heard from individuals who were in touch with the president and relayed to Cohen the president's support for him. Cohen recalled that a friend of the president's reached out to say that he was with the boss in Mar-a-Lago and the president had said, he loves you and not to worry. Cohen recalled that an individual affiliated with the Trump organization told him, the boss loves you. And Cohen said that a friend of the president's told him, everyone knows the boss has your back. So the feds very publicly searched various Cohen residences and places he stayed. Um, after that, the president's lawyers and the president himself kind of make an effort to keep him on side, never so explicitly saying, hey, don't flip and a pardon is coming your way, but we support you, um, you know, you're a good guy. At some point, President Trump calls him explicitly just to sort of offer his support. On or about April 17th, 2018, Cohen began speaking with an attorney, 
Robert Costello, who had a close relationship with Rudolf Giuliani, one of the president's personal lawyers. Costello told Cohen that he had, quote, a back channel of communication, unquote, to Giuliani, and that Giuliani had said the channel was crucial and must be maintained. There's also this weird, again, back channel effort where a friend of Rudy Giuliani, a guy named Robert Costello, another lawyer, reaches out to Cohen and talks to him all about how the president has his back and he just needs to stay on the team. And it's super weird because Cohen is in touch with all of these people. And now we have this other kind of side back channel uh, of another lawyer, not Cohen's lawyer, reaching out with a message from the president's lawyers. And Cohen certainly perceives all this as the president dangling pardons. One of the things that Mueller is looking at, of course, is, is the president floating pardons so that people don't cooperate? Just keep them on side, make sure they don't plead guilty and tell investigators what they know. On April 20th, 2018, the New York Times publishes an article about Trump and Cohen's relationship. And the president starts tweeting about how Cohen will never flip on him. In a Saturday morning Twitter tirade, President Trump blasts the New York Times. The New York Times and a third-rate reporter are going out of their way to destroy Michael Cohen and his relationship with me in the hope that he will flip. The president adds, most people will flip if the government lets them out of trouble. I don't see Michael doing that despite the horrible witch hunt and the dishonest media. The next day, Costello emails Cohen to say he's talked to Giuliani, and the conversation is, quote, very, very positive. You are loved. They are in our corner. Sleep well tonight. You have friends in high places. Cohen said that following these messages, he believed he had the support of the White House if he continued to toe the party line, and he determined to stay on message and be part of the team. At the time, Cohen understood that his legal fees were still being paid by the Trump Organization, which he said was important to him. Cohen believed he needed the power of the president to take care of him, so he needed to defend the president and stay on message. Cohen also recalled speaking with the president's personal counsel about pardons after the searches of his home and office had occurred at a time when the media had reported that pardon discussions were occurring at the White House. The White House press secretary is asked about Trump possibly pardoning Cohen. It was noticed uh, by some that you didn't uh, close the door one way or the other on the president pardoning Michael Cohen. What, what is your... Um, What's your read on that right now? It's hard to close the door on something that hasn't taken place. Uh, I don't like to discuss or uh, comment on hypothetical situations that may or may not ever happen. Um, I, I would refer you to personal attorneys to comment on anything specific regarding that case. But we don't have anything at this point. Cohen told the president's personal counsel he had been a loyal lawyer and servant. And he said that after the searches, he was in an uncomfortable position and wanted to know what was in it for him. According to Cohen, the president's personal counsel responded that Cohen should stay on message, that the investigation was a witch hunt, and that everything would be fine. Cohen understood, based on this conversation and previous conversations about pardons with the president's personal counsel, that as long as he stayed on message, he would be taken care of by the president, either through a pardon or through the investigations being shut down. Meanwhile, the president doesn't want to answer press questions about pardons. 
stupid question. Go ahead. Any other? Uh, anybody else, please? Uh, I haven't even. I haven't even thought about it. I haven't even thought. I haven't thought about any of it. It certainly is far too early to be thinking about that. They haven't been convicted of anything. There's nothing to pardon. Are you paying close well, attention? Well, I feel badly about a lot of it because I think a lot of it's very unfair. But then Michael Cohen suggests he might cooperate, and everything changes. On July 2nd, 2018, ABC News reported based on an exclusive interview with Cohen that Cohen, quote, strongly signaled his willingness to cooperate with special counsel Robert Mueller and federal prosecutors in the Southern District of New York, even if that puts President Trump in jeopardy, unquote. And it's sad because the country has never been more divisive. And one of the hopes that I have out of the punishment that I've received, as well as the cooperation that I have given, I will be remembered in history as helping to bring this country back together. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's Halderman again. Michael Cohen, uh, like other characters in this story, has a choice to make. Um, He's got some pretty serious legal jeopardy that he is facing. Part of it has to do with the hush money payments and the fact that those were campaign finance violations. Uh, And so that directly involved the president. Part of it did not have anything to do with the president. Uh, personal financial fraud that Michael Cohen had been involved with, tax evasion involving his taxi cab medallions and other issues. So he's facing some pretty serious problems and he's got to decide whether or not uh, he's going to uh, cooperate with the government. He felt as though he was was not being given strong enough assurances by the president uh, of his support, which is to say the promise he would be pardoned. He gives this interview to ABC News, to George Stephanopoulos, and he announces that he has hired Lanny Davis, the longtime Clinton confidant, you know, a sort of known enemy of the president as his new lawyer. And uh, he is going to have to put his family first. And so at that point, it is clear he is turning. He is flipping on the president and the president does not like it. Cohen isn't just suggesting he might cooperate. He's indicating he's got some very valuable information to share as well, including secret recordings of the president about other payments to women. Beginning on July 20th, 2018, the media reported on the existence of a recording Cohen had made of a conversation he had with candidate Trump about a payment made to a second woman who said she had an affair with Trump. Um, I need to open up a company 
for the transfer of all of that info regarding our friend David, you know, so yeah. that I'm going to do that right away. I've actually come up and, I've spoken, to and I've spoken to Alan Weisselberg about how to set the whole thing up. So I'm, I'm all over that, which will be awesome. What financing? Well, I have to pay you. So no, 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 no. I got no, no, no. On July 21st, 2018, the president responded, quote, inconceivable that the government would break into a lawyer's office early in the morning, almost unheard of, even more inconceivable that a lawyer would tape a client, totally unheard of and perhaps illegal. The good news is that your favorite president did nothing wrong, unquote. On July 27, 2018, after the media reported that Cohen was willing to inform investigators that Donald Trump Jr. told his father about the June 9, 2016 meeting to get dirt on Hillary Clinton, the president tweeted, quote, Sounds to me like someone is trying to make up stories in order to get himself out of an unrelated jam. Taxi cabs, maybe? He even retained Bill and Crooked Hillary's lawyer, Gee, I wonder if they helped him make the choice, unquote. He kind of goes nutso, and he uh, basically starts declaring that Michael Cohen is a rat, uh, that Michael Cohen is a liar, that uh, flipping shouldn't be allowed, even though uh, the justice system is basically based off of cases in which uh, people um, decide to cooperate, uh, and that is generally considered something that you know, the leader of the Justice Department, the President of the United States, should actually encourage. And he just makes it very clear that uh, he is now an avowed enemy of Michael Cohen because Michael Cohen is going to tell the truth. Donald Trump's Mr. Fix-It, the man who would sort out problems for him. Well, Michael Cohen has made a surprise appearance in court in New York, and it seems that he is preparing to plead guilty on August 21, 2018, Cohen pleaded guilty in the Southern District of New York to eight felony charges, including two counts of campaign finance violations based on the payments he had made during the final weeks of the campaign to women who said they had affairs with the president. During the plea hearing, Cohen stated that he had worked at the direction of the candidate in making those payments. Cohen pleads guilty twice. First, he pleads guilty, uh, and in a dark day for the president, it is the same day that Paul Manafort is convicted. He pleads guilty to some personal financial crimes that don't have to do with the president, but he also pleads guilty to campaign finance violations involving the payments to Stormy Daniels and another woman, Karen McDougal, and he tells the judge, he stands up in court and under oath says that he did that at the direction of uh, the president of the United States. He basically says under oath in court that he uh, committed a crime uh, on the orders of Donald Trump. The next day, the president contrasted Cohen's cooperation with Manafort's refusal to cooperate, tweeting, I feel very badly for Paul Manafort and his wonderful family. Justice took a 12-year-old tax case, among other things, applied tremendous pressure on him, and unlike Michael Cohen, he refused to break, make up stories in order to get a deal. Such respect for a brave man. The president reacts to those in very different ways. He talks about Manafort being a brave man. Over time, he'll talk about how justice dredged up a 12-year-old case. Manafort's, the crimes that he was convicted of, didn't actually have to do with his time on the campaign, per se, but this kind of other stuff in his past. And he contrasts that with 
Michael Cohen, who he uh, he criticizes for this plea, talks about him being a rat. Later on, he will talk about investigating Cohen's uh, family members. So Mueller views this obviously as the president trying to dissuade witnesses from cooperating. Here you have a guy who cooperates and he has drawn the full ire of the president of the United States. And here you have a guy who fought, uh, fought and lost, but fought, and he seems to have the backing of the president of the United States. And Mueller wonders, is Trump or are his lawyers dangling pardons publicly, privately to try to dissuade witnesses from cooperating? In September 2017, the special counsel's office asks President Trump to answer written questions about the Trump Tower Moscow project. They send Trump Cohen's false written statement to Congress, along with the letter of intent for the project signed by Trump himself. And they ask Trump what discussions he's had with Cohen about Trump Tower Moscow and potential trips to Russia. The president doesn't respond to Mueller until November, and when he does, he refuses to answer the questions directly. The president's answers stated in relevant part, quote, I had few conversations with Mr. Cohen on the subject. As I recall, they were brief and they were not memorable. I was not enthused about the proposal, and I do not recall any discussion of travel to Russia in connection with it. I do not remember discussing it with anyone else at the Trump Organization, although it is possible. I do not recall being aware at the time of any communications between Mr. Cohen and Felix Sater and any Russian government official regarding the letter of intent." Unquote. On November 29, 2018, shortly after the president submits those written answers, Cohen pleads guilty again, this time for false statements to Congress. And he agrees to fully cooperate with investigators. He pleads guilty to lying to Congress about certain key details involving uh, the Trump Tower Moscow negotiations, including how long they lasted. He also told Congress that he never spoke to anyone in the Russian government about this project, uh, but he had. He had had contact directly with an aide in the Kremlin about Trump Tower Moscow, a really significant thing because it kind of let the Kremlin know some of the things that Donald Trump wanted in this moment that he's also running for president. One of the things he would like is to build a Trump Tower Moscow. Later that same day, after news breaks about Cohen's guilty plea, Trump tells reporters that there wouldn't have been anything wrong with pursuing the Moscow project during the campaign. I didn't do the project. I decided not to do the project, so I didn't do it. So we're not talking about doing a project. We're talking about not doing a project. We decided, I decided ultimately not to do it. There would have been nothing wrong if I did do it. If I did do it, there would have been nothing wrong. That was my business. The primary reason, there could have been other reasons, but the primary reason, it was very simple. I was focused on running for president. There would be nothing wrong if I did do it. I was running my business while I was campaigning. There was a good chance that I wouldn't have won, in which case I would have gotten back into the business. And why should I lose lots of opportunities? And he slams Cohen. And he's a weak person. And by being weak, unlike other people that you watch, uh, he's a weak person. And what he's trying to do is get a reduced sentence. So he's lying about a project that everybody knew about. I mean, we were very open with it. Go back and look at the paper that Michael Cohn wrote before he testified in the House and or Senate. It talked about his position. 
even if he was right, it doesn't matter because I was allowed to do whatever I wanted during the campaign. The problem is that Trump's comments here don't line up with his written answers to the special counsel. Trump told Mueller he'd had few discussions with Cohen about the project and was unenthusiastic. And he'd refused to say whether he'd ever been told the project was dead. But now he's saying he personally decided to abandon the project and that he'd wanted to preserve business opportunities if he'd lost the campaign. So the special counsel's office asked Trump once again, who did he talk to about Trump Tower Moscow? Did he ever talk about abandoning the project and why? In response, the president's personal counsel declined to provide additional information from the president and stated that the president has fully answered the questions at issue. The president is refusing to answer Mueller's questions and he's going after Cohen. By December of 2018, Michael Cohen has fully, fully flipped. He has twice gone into court to plead guilty to crimes that at least in some way implicate the president. Uh, And uh, he is looking for ways to be even more helpful to prosecutors. And Donald Trump uh, does not like it at all. Mr. Trump called me a rat for choosing to tell the truth, much like a mobster would do when one of his men decides to cooperate with the government. I have provided the committee with copies of tweets that Mr. Trump posted attacking me and my family. And only someone burying his head in the sand would not recognize them for what they are. It's encouragement to someone to do harm to me and my family. In the weeks following Cohen's plea and agreement to provide assistance to this office, the president repeatedly implied that Cohen's family members were guilty of crimes. On December 3rd, 2018, after Cohen had filed his sentencing memo, the president tweeted, Michael Cohen asks judge for no prison time. You mean he can do all the terrible, unrelated to Trump things having to do with fraud, big loans, taxis, etc., and not serve a long prison term? He makes up stories to get a great and already reduced deal for himself and get his wife and father-in-law who has the money off scot-free. He lied for this outcome and should, in my opinion, serve a full and complete sentence. Here's Carrie Johnson again. Before the fall, the president was out there saying that Michael Cohen was a good man and he felt badly for him. A number of people uh, on the president's team, uh, outside lawyers and others, reached out to Cohen to say, don't worry, the president loves you. Everything's going to be fine. There wasn't an explicit promise of a pardon, but there was a, a strong sense that the president was going to be loyal to Michael Cohen and that the president loved him and he was still the president's guy, still the president's fixer. And then when things seemed to turn for Michael Cohen, when it seemed like uh, news reports began to indicate that he might cooperate, which happened weeks before he formally pleaded guilty, the president started berating Michael Cohen, calling him a rat and a liar and, and every bad word in the book, basically, and then went on to say that perhaps we should outlaw flipping because basically, uh, in the president's view, causes people to make up things in order to get a shorter sentence, which he argues Michael Cohen did. On December 12, 2018, Cohen is sentenced to three years in prison. The judge has just sentenced Michael Cohen to 36 months in prison, so three years of federal prison time for Michael Cohen. The sentencing is still going underway. The next day, the president goes after him again, on Twitter, naturally. I never directed Michael Cohen to break the law, 
Those charges were just agreed to by him in order to embarrass the president and get a much-reduced prison sentence, which he did, including the fact that his family was temporarily let off the hook. As a lawyer, Michael has great liability to me. The president goes out and says publicly that Michael Cohen's family should be investigated. He makes some intimations about Michael Cohen's father-in-law. And that sets off a firestorm because it, it... It looks to prosecutors who used to work in the Southern District of New York like witness intimidation and threats. In January 2019, reports emerge that Cohen plans to testify publicly before Congress. Trump gives an interview to Fox News. And in order to get a sentence reduced, he says, I have an idea. I'll, uh, tell, t- I'll give you some information on the president. Well, there is no information, but he should give information maybe on his father-in-law because that's the one that people want to look at because where does that money? That's the money in the family. And I guess he didn't want to talk about his father-in-law. He's trying to get his sentence reduced. So it's uh, pretty sad. He, you know, it's weak and it's very sad to watch a thing like that. The following week, on January 18th, Trump tweets about Cohen again, saying he's lying to reduce his jail time and, quote, watch father-in-law. Michael Cohen is also volunteering to testify publicly in front of Congress, which he ultimately does. Uh, But before he dies, Trump is just tweeting over and over again about what a rat Michael Cohen is, what a terrible person Michael Cohen is. And in fact, he actually escalates it and starts talking about how Michael Cohen's family members uh, committed crimes, too, and should be investigated. Uh, And, you know, he is the head of the Justice Department. He could potentially order an investigation of Michael Cohen's family members. So this is quite intimidating behavior uh, for a witness, Um, you know, talking about how his father-in-law committed these crimes. And in fact, at one moment, it kind of seems like Trump's, uh, Trump's tweeting works for a moment because Michael Cohen is supposed to testify before Congress. And he cancels one appearance or or delays it. Uh, And Lanny Davis at the time says it's because uh, of these threats from the president. On January 23, 2019, Cohen postponed his congressional testimony, citing threats against his family. The next day, the president tweeted, quote, So interesting that bad lawyer Michael Cohen, who sadly will not be testifying before Congress, is using the lawyer of crooked Hillary Clinton to represent him. Gee, how did that happen, unquote. On January 20, 2019, the president's attorney, Rudy Giuliani, seems to confirm that Cohen is telling the truth about the Trump Tower Moscow project. Well, it's our understanding that it, that they went on throughout 2016. Weren't a lot of them, but there were conversations. Can't be sure of the exact dates, but the president can remember having conversations with him about it. Throughout 2016? Also remembered, yeah, probably up to, could be up to as far as October, November. And Giuliani tells the New York Times that Trump told him that the Trump Tower project was, quote, going on from the day I announced to the day I won, end quote. Apparently, Giuliani's client isn't thrilled at the admission, and the next day he tries to walk it back. Tonight, Giuliani's story changing again. The president's lawyer calling his own comments hypothetical and not based on conversations with the president. So what does Mueller say about Cohen and whether Trump obstructed justice? One last time, is there evidence of those three elements? Here, Mueller looks at not one, but two possible obstructive actions. 
First, did the president aid or participate in Cohen's false statements to Congress? And second, did the president take actions that would have a natural tendency to prevent Cohen from providing truthful information to the government? With regard to Cohen's false statements to Congress, while there is evidence that the president knew Cohen provided false testimony to Congress about the Trump Tower Moscow project, the evidence available to us does not establish that the president directed or aided Cohen's false testimony. There's evidence the president knew that Cohen was lying to Congress because Cohen clearly had been keeping Trump in the loop after uh, they were saying publicly that candidate Trump had walked away from Trump Tower Moscow. So Cohen was following the party line, which Trump himself knew to be false. But Cohen said that he and the president did not explicitly discuss whether Cohen's testimony about the Trump Tower Moscow project would be or was false, and the president did not direct him to provide false testimony. Cohen also said he did not tell the president about the specifics of his planned testimony. During the time when his statement to Congress was being drafted and circulated to members of the JDA, Cohen did not speak directly to the president about the statement, but rather communicated with the president's personal counsel. So he concludes that there's no evidence to sustain that President Trump told Cohen to lie. Mueller is stymied in some respects. The key parties in these discussions are Michael Cohen, who talks, Donald Trump, who gives very, um, <laughs> very nonspecific, I can't remember written answers, and President Trump's lawyers who refused to talk, citing attorney-client privilege. So he mainly ends up with Cohen's account. But Cohen says he can't remember talking specifically with the president about his congressional testimony. Certainly, President Trump never said lie. That said, he did talk, and there are phone records to suggest he talked extensively with President Trump's lawyers about his testimony. While they maybe never said lie, they told him about keeping his statement short and on message. And Trump's message was, I don't have anything to do with Russia. And there's another problem, which is that attorney-client privilege makes it hard to demonstrate how personally involved Trump was in editing or reviewing Cohen's statement. The president's personal counsel declined to provide us with his account of his conversations with Cohen, and there is no evidence available to us that indicates that the president was aware of the information Cohen provided to the president's personal counsel. The absence of evidence about the president and his counsel's conversations about the drafting of Cohen's statement precludes us from assessing what, if any, role the president played. I would say it is an unsettled question for me the extent to which Donald Trump's lawyers knew that the content of Michael Cohen's statement was false. Um, Donald Trump should have known it. Uh, he was there at the time. He was talking to Michael Cohen about the Trump Tower Moscow negotiations. But it's not totally clear to me that his lawyers knew it, and hence they they knew they were signing off on a false statement. Uh, and in fact, the uh, Mueller's team was not fully able to investigate that question. Again, they hit one of these walls that they do periodically, um, and this is the attorney-client privilege wall. They weren't able to bring those folks in to talk to them about what they knew and what they didn't know and the extent to which the president was involved with shaping this false statement. In addition to the question of false statements to Congress, there's the matter of witness tampering. Did the president take any obstructive actions which would have the natural tendency to prevent Cohen from providing truthful information to criminal investigators or to Congress? 
Here, Mueller notes the contrast in what Trump was saying before and after Cohen began cooperating. Before Cohen began to cooperate with the government, the president publicly and privately urged Cohen to stay on message and not flip. After it was reported that Cohen intended to cooperate with the government, however, the president accused Cohen of, quote, making up stories in order to get himself out of an unrelated jam, called Cohen a rat, and on multiple occasions suggested members of Cohen's family had committed crimes. So what does Mueller conclude? The evidence concerning this sequence of events could support an inference that the president used inducements in the form of positive messages in an effort to get Cohen not to cooperate and then turn to attacks and intimidation to deter the provision of information or undermine Cohen's credibility once Cohen began cooperating. And then we've got this whole issue of wanting to keep Michael Cohen in the tent, which the president did through his tweets and public statements about Michael Cohen before he flipped. The president himself told Cohen to hang in there. Uh, That kind of stuff was intended to keep Michael Cohen on the party line. Uh, Now, after he flipped, this whole campaign of of, uh, intimidation, calling Cohen a rat, threatening his father-in-law. Mueller comes out and says, there's evidence that could support the inference the president intended to discourage Cohen from cooperating with the government. Gee, you think? I mean, come on. Like, there are ways to say this with more confidence than they did. It seems quite clear to everybody who can read and watch television that the president was intimidating Michael Cohen, and for a while it worked and then it didn't. Nexus is established by Trump's statements and tweets making clear he understood that Cohen might cooperate with investigations in the Southern District of New York and the special counsel inquiry. But what about intent? In analyzing the president's intent in his actions toward Cohen as a potential witness, there is evidence that could support the inference that the president intended to discourage Cohen from cooperating with the government because Cohen's information would shed adverse light on the president's campaign period conduct and statements. First, what was Trump's intent with respect to Cohen's false statements about Trump Tower Moscow? Cohen was lying. And Mueller concludes that his false congressional testimony about the project was designed to minimize connections between the president and Russia and to limit the congressional and executive branch investigations. The evidence could support an inference that the president was aware of these facts at the time of Cohen's false statements to Congress. Cohen discussed the project with the president in early 2017 following media inquiries. Cohen recalled that on September 20, 2017, the day after he released to the public his opening remarks to Congress, which said the project was terminated in January of 2016, the president's personal counsel told him the president was pleased with what Cohen had said about Trump Tower Moscow. And after Cohen's guilty plea, The president told reporters that he had ultimately decided not to do the project, which supports the inference that he remained aware of his own involvement in the project and the period during the campaign in which the project was being pursued. Second, what was Trump's intent when it came to public statements about Cohen? The picture here is a little muddy. The president's public remarks following Cohen's guilty plea also suggests that the president may have been concerned about what Cohen told investigators about the Trump Tower Moscow project. 
The president's concern about Cohen cooperating also may have been directed at the Southern District of New York investigation into other aspects of the president's dealings with Cohen rather than an investigation of Trump Tower Moscow. There is also some evidence that the president's concern about Cohen cooperating was based on the president's stated belief that Cohen would provide false testimony against the president in an attempt to obtain a lesser sentence for his unrelated criminal conduct. But there is evidence that the president knew that Cohen had made false statements about the Trump Tower Moscow project and that Cohen did so to protect the president and minimize the president's connections to Russia during the campaign. Finally, the president's statements insinuating that members of Cohen's family committed crimes after Cohen began cooperating with the government could be viewed as an effort to retaliate against Cohen and chill further testimony adverse to the president by Cohen or others. The timing of these statements supports an inference that they were intended, at least in part, to discourage Cohen from further cooperation. So that's it. That's the story in the Mueller report, what Mueller found and what he didn't find. In the next episode, the final one in our series, we'll talk about what Mueller says it all means. With all the evidence that's been laid out in the prior 14 episodes, why doesn't the special counsel indict the president? Why does Mueller say he isn't even able to accuse Trump of committing a crime though he can't exonerate him either. And what decisions does Mueller leave to Congress and to the American people? And I will close by reiterating the central allegation of our indictments, that there were multiple systematic efforts to interfere in our election. And that allegation deserves the attention of every American. Thank you, thank you for being here today. That's next time on The Report. This podcast is made possible by the generous support of the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation and the Democracy Fund, and by listeners like you. To support this project, please go to lawfareblog.com. The report is a production of Lawfare and Goat Rodeo in Washington, D.C. Ian Enright is the executive producer. Production assistance from Shar Dreyer. From the Lawfare team, the project is led by executive editor Susan Hennessy, editor-in-chief is Benjamin Wittes. Interviews conducted by managing editor Quinta Jurassic. Recordings by Michaela Fogel and Jacob Schultz. Additional assistance by Margaret Taylor and Gordon All. Special thanks to Matt Zapatowski, Rosalind Helderman, Carrie Johnson, and you, the listening audience. To support this show, please share this podcast wherever you can. And while you're at it, please subscribe and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Our website, lawfareblog.com, is where you can learn more about Lawfare, read our work, and support our mission. Until next time. You're listening to Goat Rodeo. Keep an ear out for us. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 